0: Okay, well, uh, morning. Morning. All right, here we go. So we're months into the, the book of Romans. Uh, Paul's, what pe- many people think is Paul's um, ma- major contribution. Um, it, it, it's an unusual letter. Can, most of the time, Paul responds to a letter that he's received or letters he's received from a local church. Uh, and so he's answering the questions they've, you know, they've asked him. This is a letter to a church where he's, he's never visited, and so he's doing a little bit of introduction. And it's not, it's not an entire systematic theology, a systematic theology that's thinking about theology um, according to its categories. That would be an entire systematic theology would be doctrine of God, doctrine of Christ, doctrine of salvation, etc. cetera, et cetera. This is like one chapter in the systematic theology textbook, and it's on redemption. So uh, first question he asks is, who needs redemption? Turns out, everybody does. Second question in chapters 4 through 6 is, what are the benefits of redemption? He answers those. And then uh, what I'm calling the head-scratchers of redemption. Like, really, Philip? That's how redemption works. What about these questions? And the first uh, uh, question is, doesn't redemption encourage sin? If God always forgives why not just sin like crazy? (laughs) So he answers that question. And uh, the second question that we're going to start to deal with today is, what about the Jews? So um, this is what we're going to do today. I'm going to read the text. Uh, I'm going to hopefully be able to put it on the screen. Let's see if I can do that. Uh, I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to ask these questions. What do you see? And I'm going to, um, that's when, that's the participatory part of the experience today. So I'm going I'm to, hopefully you'll tell me what you see. Uh, and then I'm going to uh, spend some time with you thinking through together some of the issues. And then third, we're going to take a closer look verse by verse, and then we're going to draw some conclusions. So that's where we're going. Is that okay? Some of you like to know where we're going. It's almost like getting on a plane without any idea where it's going. But a lot of people like to know where the plane's going. So that's where the plane is going today. So the text, Paul writes in chapter 9, and we're just doing these five verses. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow... I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. Those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of the sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. So, what do you see? Telling you uh, to redeem yourself and uh, how you live your life. And, uh, uh, to, to do right, we have to grow. To do right, we have to grow? Yeah. Oh, okay, right, okay. What else do you see? That's right. What else do you see? I'm sorry, you're gonna, I'm sorry what's your name, ma'am? Audrey. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So uh, what do you see, Audrey? I was just saying the um, English and, uh Paul's heart. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, this is pretty... Uh, people have to talk about Romans like it's a theology textbook. This looks pretty personal it is pretty personal. What else do you see? Yep? He, that he was and put off in I'm sorry, I can't... He, that he was and put off in and the people. Yeah. So he's, I mean, he's wondering, wow, um, the Jews have not largely converted. I'm the apostle of the Gentiles, man, I would rather be condemned to hell myself and see my fellow Jews come to faith in Jesus. That's his anguish. That's really, I mean, he's the apostle of the, I mean, he's had some serious successes. But this deep, wow, you can just, you can feel it, just this deep personal longing that hasn't come true for him. What else do you see? Paul. He's kind of pointed out. They, they received the covenants. They received the law. They have the, the patriarchs leading all the way to Christ. and still the same. Yeah, I mean, they've got, like, what's the story? <laughs> I mean, they, they, they're the ones who know the whole, the whole trajectory. They're the ones who ought to have come to faith. Why didn't they? You ever have questions like that about the faith? Or is everything totally clear for you? (laughs) Oh, I understand everything about how things are working out. Yeah. See, no God's plan. Totally. Yeah. What else do you see? Yeah, I mean, they, they should, it, it should all be clear. So why are they not seeing it? Have you ever had that thought in your life ever? About other people and think, why, are they not, why can't they just put it together? Um, they're they are too focused on what's going on in the past. Not yeah, they're too focused on what's going on in the past. Or sometimes it' just because we're too focused on the wrong thing. That ever happened to you? You're just too focused on the wrong thing. When my, when Christine and I were, we've been married 39 years, and when we first met, we met on, on October 9th, 1981. And uh, the, just before Christmas, she and her family were going away for like two weeks, and we were kissing on the front porch of her parents' house. I remember that part very clearly, <laughs> the kissing part, and. Uh, she after, uh, they took a little break, I guess, there, and then she looked at me and, and I heard her say, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. To which I responded, I like you too. <laughs> Honest to God, that's what I said. So, um, so, somebody had been missing the obvious signs there. I mean, they're right there, you know, drove away, and I'm thinking, just this whole way, like, wow, something really important just happened. Missed that one, so that's a human tendency to like miss what's right in front of you. Yes? Yeah, we get distracted and all kinds of things distract us and all, things, all kinds of things that maybe in other areas of our life really are important, but but um, yeah, we, we lose focus. Anything else strike you? Yep. Yeah. That's real that's a great insight. I mean, he is someone who had been pretty far advanced, pretty high up in the world of Judaism and then had to a lot of people had crossed over. And so can we trust this guy? Does he have does he have legitimacy? And he couldn't he wasn't he wouldn't really have lots of cred in the Roman world even though he was a Roman citizen. So, okay. Uh, So number two, let's think a little bit. Let me see if this is going to go ahead. Oh, yeah, that was the question. So now let's think about this passage a little bit. Um, Well, um, the Jews are the chosen people. He knows that. But he had to be thinking too, and we should, for what? (laughs) What does choosing suggest? And the cardinal passage for understanding that is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. This is the first uh, contact we have with Abram who gets his name changed to Abraham, the father of the Jewish race. So the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'm going to show you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. All that sounds awesome so far. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Wow, that last part. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Haven't you had the experience where where something good happens to you, and then somebody else also gets a measure of that same good thing, and like suddenly that good thing isn't so awesome anymore. <laughs> it's it's lost a little bit of awesomeness. It's gone from capitals, capital A, capital W, capital E, just to just just lowercase awesome. It's much better if it's just me and not you also. It really is. So a light to the Gentiles. Wow, so, so this light to the Gentiles thing has come true. And Paul's been, many ways, the chief uh, proponent, the chief accelerator, the chief expander of that light to the Gentiles. And he knows it. So why have so few Jews recognized Jesus as Messiah and turned to God? That's the thing he's wrestling with. It's beautiful. It's awesome to see him honestly wrestling with with questions. Right? You have questions. I have questions about the faith. Honest wrestling. He's pursuing it. And the evidence is all around us, all around him. The Christian community has some Jews, but the vast majority of worldwide Judaism in his day had not recognized Jesus as Messiah. And he's asking the question, what gives with that? How am I supposed to understand that? Maybe, maybe we were wrong in embracing this new faith. He might be thinking that some Gentiles are thinking that. And if the Jews aren't following Jesus, they're the ones that know all this stuff. Have we, have we, bought, have we bought a canard? Have we bought something that, that just doesn't gonna, isn't going to have staying power? Didn't God send the Messiah to Israel? It kind of looks like God promised one thing, and what happened was something else. In the background, of course, is the dynamic that God often works in ways that surprise us. That ought to tell us something. We're pretty much addicted to the way things we want, the way we want things to be. Just notice. What goes on in your heart when you're driving home today? And someone cuts you off. <laughs> are you whacked out about these stories about people assaulting flight attendants? Like, holy moly. I mean, we are addicted to the way, thing, the way we want things to be. We get, we get just crazy if we're if we're held up just a little bit. Even the Messiah didn't come as the Jews expected. They, they wanted a second, a second leader like the ancient Maccabees. Those are the people 150 years before Jesus who, who kicked out the Syrian Greeks, an empire that, that had overrun their land. And for a 100 years, the Jews had an independent existence until the Romans showed up. That's the archetype of Messiah. When the Maccabees, after kicking out the second or third most powerful empire in the world, the the Syrian Greek empire, um, as they rode into Jerusalem to commemorate their victory, the crowd put on the ground before them palm branches. So when Jesus rides up before his crucifixion and they put palm branches, they're saying to him, you do what the Maccabees did. You kick the Romans out and we'll have our own kingdom again. So that's, that's what they were expecting. That's what they wanted. So in the background is this dynamic. We often love God and pursue God for what we want him to form in us. Isn't that true? As opposed to what he wants to form in us. Think about the prayers we often recite. Lord, give me patience and give me wisdom like it's a spiritual golden corral and we can choose whatever we want. And God's the person behind the counter, you know, filling up with the, you know. Isn't that true? It is true, right? Like faith in Christ is a trip to the, Spiritual golden corral. And so Paul anticipates some questions. Questions he's asked himself. Imagine a Pharisee who found himself the apostle to the Gentiles. That must have taken him some time to pause and reflect. How did I end up here? That he'd been wrong. He'd been wrong what he wanted and expected of God, and he'd been wrong on a massive scale. And so what he's doing here is to address some questions. He was pretty much used to it. I'm going to think about tough questions. Why have the Jews not en malice, embraced faith in Jesus? That's one question he knows people are asking. Does this mean God's promises are not to be trusted? He knows people are thinking that. Were we wrong to trust in Jesus when the Jews largely do not? Didn't God intend to send the Messiah to and for Israel to bless Israel? And in this long section, that is all of chapters 9 through 11, he's going to ask his readers and listeners to think with them about how God, being at work in Christ, actually is consistent with the Old Testament. That the Jews need this message and need to understand this reading of their own history and walk with God. And that in Jesus, the trajectory of the Old Testament comes to fruition instead of it being hijacked that Jewish Christians are believers in the God of the Old Testament. it's the same God. And he's going to show that Gentile Christians worship the God of the Old Testament and Paul will want them and the God, God will want them to see Paul will want them to see this connection between the Old Testament and their Christian faith and to see the one plan of salvation in both. So looking ahead in this section chapters nine, so chapter all the chapters 9 10 11, Paul's going to say, number one, God made promises to Israel. And these promises are still valid. Not in spite of what is happening now. But what is going on now that most Jews have yet to embrace Jesus and Gentiles, but Gentiles have, that actually is God's plan. Now that's a mind-bender. Secondly, Paul's going to point out in chapters 9-11 Even now, God is about the task of bringing Jews to faith in Jesus. That's chapter 11, 1 through 10. And eventually, chapters 11, 33 and following, all Israel will be saved. So God does keep his promises, often in ways we do not expect. Because we often look but don't see. So my story about not noticing what was going on with my... my, uh, girlfriend, soon-to-be be fiance Christina. There's an even better story about my dad. My dad was uh, uh, he was in sales, and there was a, a, a church business meeting one night, and he got there late. And it was like this. I mean, people kind of spread out, and my mom was seated near the back by herself, and dad walked in and saw an opportunity to make a, uh, a dramatic uh, scene. And so he sat down next to my mom, threw his arm over her head, put it around her shoulders and gave her this elaborate kiss and then gently let her back down against the the seat cushion. And instead of swooning, you know, oh, Paul, she was uh, glaring at him, clearly upset. And he said, what's the matter? And she said, look behind me. And there on the chair behind my mom was my mom's wig. (laughs) Because uh, when he had thrown his arm over her shoulder, he knocked her wig off her head and it flew like did a double you know somersault and a twist and landed on the lap of the woman behind my mom on her lap and she's terrified and and my and my dad doesn't even notice <laughs> that's how we are we look but don't see so that's the big picture this section is about Israel, but really it's about God. So this section, 9 through 11, and about God's plan. About our general tendency to want God to do what we want. So once again, we should we should pursue God for what he wants to form in us, not for what we want him to form in us. That's a phrase from the great uh, uh, Teresa of Avila, who uh, lived in the 1500s and... Uh, uh, the first female doctor of the church in terms of what Catholic theologians say. so uh, and She's the only one who ever founded a monastic order for men. She's the only woman who ever fo- founded a monastic order for men. So, pr- a critically important person in the history of the church. So, here we go, part three, uh, looking at uh, the passage verse by verse. So, verse one. Uh, I think mean, pretty clear. He's genuinely concerned. That comes across, right? He's genuinely concerned. Maybe personally conflicted. I speak the truth about what I'm going to write. I'm not lying. That's a, you know, that's kind of a funny thing to say. I mean, I'm not lying. Oh, but like in chapter three, maybe you were, you know. So. <laughs> but I mean, he's 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 really he's he's talking about. Wow, this is what I'm feeling, not just what I know. But this is this is way more on on the emotion side. I speak the truth about what I'm right. I'm not lying. And the Holy Spirit within me confirms for me that I'm not lying. Just in case I may be self-deluded. But the Spirit is, is speaking to me. So I know it's not just me and my logic. It's God communicating to me. I know that many of my fellow Jews could and did. Uh, doubt my sincerity, Paul says. I know they're going to. I know they have. And many Gentiles also, perhaps. And Paul knows that in the minds of many, he's a traitor. Many among his, his former associates have to think he's a traitor to the cause. And some must have thought of Paul as a perverse Asian of Satan, trying to mislead Jews. Verse 2, I have great sorrow and anguish in my heart. That's, I mean, this is really personal. When you've experienced great anguish and sorrow. Sometimes we, along with others, experience anguish over some event or some reality. But when it's personal, we feel that stab of pain, right? Remember those events in your life where you can't ever get comfortable? <laughs> you move around, sit in this chair, sit in that chair, go for a walk. The walk doesn't stop. I mean, you just, it's like there's no relief anywhere. You would rather go to sleep and just, and, and sleep for hours. That's the only escape. He, he, it reads like that, just deep, deep anguish. Why verse three? My own people are cut off from Christ; they are not experiencing the life in Christ that I came to see in a, in a flash of insight. They are not saved, as some commentators would put it. Right, as an aside, you know, Paul, as a uh, in Paul, there is what is called a triple pattern of salvation. We have been saved. Past tense. We are being saved. For those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And we will be saved. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So salvation is a past event. It's a continuing action. And it awaits a future denouement. So have been saved. That's what God did for us. We can't save ourselves. I can't save myself. We need help from outside. So that's the image of we're in a jail cell, and God has allowed to, through Christ has has the door has sprung open. We can now walk out. But the are being saved is the you gotta walk out. You gotta walk out and, and, and live into this faith. Yes, you have been saved. The jail door has sprung open, but now you've got to walk out and learn to live into the promise. Learn to live into What life with the Holy Spirit within you learn to listen to God more and more, listen less to yourself. Do you ever struggle with that? Okay, three of us do, including me. Okay, there's a couple more, but we got we got to learn. We got that that's a long process, and we will be saved. Well, that's you know that's that's at the end. That's when God calls us home. I wish I were cursed, anathema, cut off. This implies that this is the status of the Jews who have not come to faith. I would rather switch for them. He'd prefer for his people to experience living faith now. Parents wish that for their children, don't they? Yeah. If they're lost or wandering, we do it we would we would give up anything. We wish that for friends and loved ones. And we really can't understand why God seems to be waiting. But once again, we should pursue God for what he wants to form in us, not for what we want him to form in us. And then verse 4. The people of Israel. That's, that's kind of interesting, he uses that language instead of the Jews. The people of Israel. And that is typically used by Paul, not exclusively, but typically used by Paul when he has in mind what we call salvation history. Not just the people of Israel, the people group, but what their purpose is. And what have the Jews enjoyed? Adoption. That's what he says, adoption. That also is really interesting. Because that's the language he typically uses for Gentiles like Jews are the, are the real family and we Gentiles are, are, are adopted like there's secondary status or something. But here he says, look, the whole world is alienated from God by what we've done. And so it's actually, we're all adopted. Jews and Gentiles are equally adopted. That's a really fascinating idea that he puts forward there. Unusual, not the typical kind of thing. And the divine glory. That's also really interesting. Remember, remember the story of Moses? You know, he's up there on the mountain and his face is all shiny. And what do the people say? That's too much for us. You go up there, you get shiny, you just tell us about it. We, we have a hard time with glory. We think we want it, but actually not so much. It costs something of us. It asks us to make a change. It asks us to be careful. It asks us to admit that we are broken and we can't fix ourselves. Glory. And it's so interesting that typically in, in Scripture... Even in Scripture, glory seems to be the shiny thing. But what is that? What is it? What's actually doing the sh- shining? Like all we got is the is the outward appearance, not the reality. What might be maybe the most um, complex theological book in the Bible is, is the Gospel of John, which actually comes close to defining it. glory is a unity of purpose and a love relationship that the father and the son share that's what Jesus says and this is glory to know God and to know Jesus Christ whom he has sent so it's a love relationship and a unity of purpose so we're moving from our selfish purpose to knowing and understanding God's purpose more and more because it's a love relationship, not a dictator-subject relationship (laughs) or a power relationship, but a love relationship. So they had the divine glory. They had the covenants. They had the law. They had the temple. They had the promises. And God will keep them, but not... This is typical, usually in the way we had imagined. And then verse 5. Then the two, uh, the two biggies. Theirs are the patriarchs. That's the type time. That's the, way, the basic way of understanding God's relationship with us. His relationship with the patriarchs. And also the Messiah. The human ancestry of Christ. Who, by the way, is God. So, um, what can we say here? Well, maybe first, the complex of Holy Spirit and anguish. That's interesting how those two go together. Now, the word for anguish in Greek is adune, which signifies, um, you know, just tremendous stress. Like we talked about earlier, you can never get comfortable. The kind that affects you physically. And then the Holy Spirit. That's really interesting because you normally think about the the Spirit as comfort, but it can also be anguish if we're too far afield, right? I mean, sometimes you don't want the light turned off. And then Spirit. You know, we typically say, "I have a soul," right? Can we use that language, I have a soul, I have a spirit? But the biblical way of saying it is, I am a soul. We are embodied souls. Because the soul is eternal. And so is the spirit. So we are tripartite, we're body, soul, spirit. We just happen to be in a body right now. At the crucifixion, Jesus says to the one guy on the cross today, are going to be with me in paradise, not in 4017 AD when I come again then you'll be with me in paradise he says today you're going to be in paradise so some part of us that's sentient that's self aware as soon as we die is, is in heaven with God that's why the souls in Revelation are underneath the altar saying how long we've been waiting a long time <laughs> for, the of, uh, for the end of human time So we have a soul, but we also have a spirit. And that spirit connects us with other spirits, with the Spirit of God. Think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians when he says, you can go ahead and eat idol meat. Meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, you know, idols are just wooden stone. So you can go ahead and eat that idol meat. But if there's someone who used to go to that cult where that idol was worshipped, you know what, they've opened the door of their lives to that evil spirit. And that makes them vulnerable. So I I once years ago was in a seminary class of all things with a woman who, um, as we had a small group together, shared that she had once been a witch. And that uh, just a couple nights before, there was something horrible happened at her house. There was some sort of, her, 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 her young son was crying late at night and she walked into his bedroom and found out what was going on, and there was she couldn't get in his room. There was an evil force suffocating him. And she finally broke in and was able to run out. And but then she said, she paused and said, And you know, Dave, I used to be a witch. Okay, that's new information. <laughs> and there's a zodiac symbol in my house that we used to use in the worship where we, we worship the evil spirits. And I think that zodiac symbol is the, is the source of the evil in my house. What do you think, Dave? I'm in a seminary class. We're in our small group, and I said, I think I should go get the professor because I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> I've thought about that a lot over the time. But, but that zodiac symbol is the... Was, it, was, it symbolized, it stood for those evil forces. I've never been involved in that. I could have a zodiac symbol... You know, tattooed to my to my chest, and it wouldn't bother maybe kind of weird, but it wouldn't bother me. <laughs> but for her, that was the portal, right? So spiritual, our spirit connects us with other spiritual forces. So we're body, soul, spirit. So um, I am with you in spirit, Paul can say. He means i actually I'm actually in a way present, just non-physical way. So and then theirs is the adoption as sons, the uh, the Jews. Um, but you know, Paul will also say in Ephesians, this is a beautiful passage. to chapter two. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised, but also call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope and with God in the world. That's who Gentiles were. But, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then he says, he himself is our peace, who has made the two one. Okay. So, conclusions. What, do we, what can we take away from this passage? I think the first thing, one, one of the first things you take away is questions are okay. It's okay to doubt. Now, depends on what kind of doubt. You know, James says don't doubt. But that's a, that's, that's a particular kind. That's being double-minded. That's saying one thing and doing another. What Paul is talking about here is, and, he's, and the presumption is, it's, um, it's honest doubt. Because we all have those. Doubt actually plays an important role in any kind of advancement. If you aren't wondering about something, you're not seeking to solve a problem. And when we experience doubt or some conundrum about our spiritual life, we should embrace it and say, Lord, what do you want me to learn here? Help me to see what you want me to see, and not just the way I want to see, the way I want reality to be. Less of me, more of you. Honest inquiry. Thinking is okay. Jesus didn't say, just do what I say. Teacher, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Well, let me tell you a story. It was a guy on the road to Jericho. So that's an example, he's, he, he's teaching people moral reasoning, right? Can we pay taxes, to, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, let's just look at a coin. Whose face who's on the coin? Caesar's. Well, give the Caesar what Caesar's and the God's which God's. Well, what things are Caesar's? Certain things are Caesar's. What things are God's? Everything. So you have to think it through. So the parable of the Good Samaritan is, yep, he's going to work on the Sabbath, but to heal somebody. Speed limits are there for a purpose. I'm sure there are speed limits up there in the part of the Sierra Nevada that were on fire a couple months ago. Probably 15 miles an hour on some of those streets. But if there's a fire raging after you and you're driving 15 because you don't want to get a ticket, <laughs> you're missing the point of the speed limit. The speed limit is there to preserve some deeper, some deeper good. So actions and then law, but laws reflect some deeper principle and principles are based on a ground. And Jesus says, what is the ground? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, you know, President Lincoln actually understood this, you know, in the Lincoln-Douglas debates, where um, the debate, the question was, should Kansas be admitted as a, as, a, as a slave state? And Douglas said, well, it's a good American principle, popular sovereignty, to let the people decide. And Lincoln said, no, because there's something even deeper. A basic ground, which is the dignity of every human being made in the image of God. And we cannot introduce that. So that kind of reasoning, Jesus' thinking is good. Secondly, conclusion, I think, you know, we don't know everything. Oliver Cromwell once said, uh, to some folks who were in dispute with him I beg you in the name of God consider the possibility you might be wrong not you are wrong but can you at least consider the possibility <laughs> so difficulty like this like uh, this conundrum it, it, it forces Paul to think through what do I know of God what do I know of my own people what do I know of God's work in my own life so, what you might call godly agnosticism. Third, yeah, we have a tendency to make it about ourselves, right? Luther said, we are curved in upon ourselves. It's beautiful in that, in curvatus se." We can't escape the gravitational pull of our own selves. It's very difficult to do that. I read a book. Horrible. Horrifying book. Painful. Beautiful book. I don't know. 25 years ago called The Cliff Walk. But this guy was a professor. Uh, you know, he was pretty Mr. Smarty Pants. You know, got a good first job at a state college in Texas somewhere. And then uh, looked for a better job at a more prestigious school. Ended up at, I think it was Colgate, which is really quite up there. And then he And then he was, you know, ready to Ready he positioned himself to, to jump to the Ivy to the Ivy League. And uh, his department chair called him in one day, I think it was his department chair, and he thought, sure, he was, yep, they're gonna, he's gonna tell me I've got tenure, and instead he said, uh, you know, we're not granting you tenure, and uh, so you've got a year to find another job, because you won't be teaching here after that. He's published three or four books, he's always had this, this career path of success, and he's thinking, you know, what? And then he couldn't get a job. He spent years looking. He said he got rejected at some community college in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And that's when he felt he hit rock bottom. And, he, he, and then he, he, he was living in this big old house in New England, and he wasn't working, and he was totally self-absorbed. And he's staying at home, taking care of the kids, and he realizes, you know, my, kid, my oldest kid is 12. I'm, I've actually never done the wash for them. I don't even know how to run the washing machine. And he's, he's self-absorbed, and he's watching his daughter play with them double-hung windows, and, and, and the suspension broke, and it, it, you know, those things are really heavy, right? And it, it, it fell down, and it, it broke, I think it was her finger, and there was like, part of her finger bone was poking through the skin. And he thought to himself, great. Now I've got to go to the hospital. And when he realized that was what he thought, he was horrified. How self-absorbed am I? That's what we're capable of. So, let's make an effort, an endeavor, to pursue God for what he wants to form in us not for what we want him to form in us. And then finally, so what do we know? What do we know for sure? God can be trusted, number one. God can be trusted. Secondly, we are family. We need to live into that. Go ahead, take a look at the folks around you. See, I I am one of the folks around you, but... But there are other folks. Take a look at the folks around. And and City Church is is a wonderful community. But we need each other. We do. Every one of us has strengths that others can rely on. And we've got horrible weaknesses where we need one another. And let's remember that we are saved from. But we're also saved for. These are the truths Paul knows. He doesn't understand all the reasons why things haven't worked out the way he would do it. But he knows the one who can be trusted. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your love for us, for the fact that, um, well, that you are patient and you don't vaporize us the first time we screw up. Or even the hundredth time, but that you've given us to each other, and that you've put the Spirit within us, help us to expand the place in our lives and our hearts where the Spirit dwells, so we can listen more to you and less to ourselves. We pray. And all God's people said.